Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel? We've come to verse uh, to chapter 26. David spares Saul again. It's a different place. It's a different set of circumstances. But uh, David creates for himself another adventure. The story of David, I've said this many times, is filled with emotion. Of course, when you connect the Psalms that David wrote with the circumstances under which a particular Psalm was written, you will you will experience with David his emotion, his set of emotions as he goes through uh, some, some scenario of his life, much of which in his younger years was lived in danger. 10 years, he was 10 years running from Saul after he was anointed king by Samuel that is after David was anointed king. And then later in his life, when he ran from his son who tried to overthrow him. But that's not part of our story tonight. David is still on the run. Saul is still the king. And anything in the scripture is there, of course, as an example for us. In, in the case of David, if we pair it, and we're not doing that tonight, but if we pair it with a psalm, then we, we learn how one emotion goes to another and how in a time of, of stress and danger and anxiety, the situation begins with who we are, us, you know. But then when we settle down, even in the midst of the worst kind of danger, and I mean, David's life is at stake all the way through for these 10 years. But when we settle down and our faith grows, we draw back on, on uh, events in our lives where God has always delivered us. And so David goes from, in these Psalms, a lot of times he goes from anxiety to prayer to worship. By the time you get to the end of the Psalm, he's still there hiding in the weeds somewhere and in the case of Saul, Saul's men are not that far away thrusting their spears and swinging their swords to see where he's hiding in those weeds and they mean to kill him. And all the way through, David has been lied about and lied against, which infuriates Saul that much more. And God, though, is in control of the situation. So we learn we learn how God's people dealt with emotion because we have to know that in every circumstance, God means it for good and somehow we're going to come out better than we were when we went into the circumstances. We learn how to turn something difficult into prayer and then through prayer, how to turn the situation into an opportunity for worship. 
coming out of the previous chapter, we will note here that David has greater courage than he did. Okay, Nabal and Abigail, if you'll remember last week, David was enraged because Nabal insulted him, humiliated him. And so David was acting on, on uh, human instinct, he, personal emotion. Enraged, he gathers 400 of his 600 men and they are in full gallop to destroy Nabal, who was a very wealthy man, had a lot of stuff, a lot of servants, but they weren't warriors. He intended to kill all of them. He said, I was going to kill even every dog that he had. That's what you remember last week. He had a beautiful wife, Nabal did, who was a, an intelligent and spiritual woman. And God intervened by letting Abigail intervene. It was just, it was, I mean, David and his men about halfway were met by Abigail who was, who was running from the situation, but also running to tell Saul that, or to tell David that he needed a clear head before he did anything. Abigail realized how dangerous the situation was because David had protected Nabal's vast holdings of, of flocks and herds in a time when the enemy was out trying to steal and destroy from the Israelites. And he helped him. And in order to help support David and his men, David expected a tribute to be paid because everybody else had done it and they did it gladly. But Nabal, he said, essentially, he said, who are you? you I don't know you. you I, I'm not here to give my money away. Uh, and he, you know, he insulted uh, David's messengers. Just at the right time, just at the right place, Abigail was there. But here's the point. Abigail uh, displayed obeisance. She, she bowed to him and she called him Lord. She recognized that David was the true king and that David had done a great honor in keeping Nabal's household from being destroyed by the Philistines and others there because he had, he had a very large, wealthy household. And as the conversation went along, David said, you know, the Lord has sent you to stop me because I intended to kill them all and I wasn't even going to leave a dog alive. Abigail replied and she said, you know, you're not that kind of man. You let the Lord fight your battles and the Lord has put me here to stop you from doing something that would have ruined your reputation and your name among the Israelites. They recognize you as an honorable man, unlike Saul. And so in that moment, David was arrested, you might say. And then Abigail said, I know that you are the rightful king and that in the due course of time, God will put you on the throne. Everybody knows it. 
We noted in that last chapter how there was a, apparently a division among the people. Nabal, for example, favored Saul for whatever reason. But many, many others favored David. So David has, he listened to Abigail and he took advice from her and she settled his angry spirit. So he left off on his quest to destroy Nabal. But as it happens, Abigail goes back and she tells Nabal, she said, after he, he got drunk. You remember the festive day Nabal was drunk, but he came to his senses the next day and she said, you know, you came this close to getting killed, but it just so happens that I, that the Lord put me in the right place and he's not coming to kill you. When Nabal recognized how serious the situation was and he thought back on everything, he had a stroke. And then he died with just a short time later. And so Yahweh took care of it. The Lord took care of it. Now, David sends to marry Abigail. So now David takes Nabal's widow as his wife. And in taking Nabal's widow, he takes <laughs> Nabal's wealth. That wasn't really the plan. But David is strengthened and encouraged because of the advice and counsel of Abigail. People look up to you. People expect you to do the right thing. They see you as a righteous man. So many people in the kingdom long for the day when you will be the king. But they honor and respect you because you have, you have been patient and you have let the Lord work it out. And you haven't been the kind of man that Saul is that works on selfish emotion. Now, David here in chapter 26 is armed with that courage. The understanding that he, you know, he is headed to the throne. It's not that he feels indestructible, but he feels like that he can move a little more freely in helping the people understand what kind of man Saul really is. Saul is surrounded by officers and counselors who have made up lies about David. David says this, David is after your throne. He's going to kill you. You better watch him. He's gathering people to himself. He's going to divide the kingdom, all this kind of stuff. Well, previously we saw a couple of weeks ago how Saul went into the cave to relieve himself and David and his men were hiding in there and Saul didn't know it. And he took his sword and cut off a piece of the robe while, while Saul was busy. And after Saul got far enough away, he yelled and the acoustics were such in that valley that they turned and David was there holding that piece of the robe. I could have killed you. But you're my Lord, the king, and I'm not after you. Why are you after me? Is it because you're surrounded by people who are telling you lies? You are the king. You are my king. And I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so Saul 
you know, Saul was just manic depressive more or less. And now he's, he, he moves from his jealous uh, of vengeance to his humility. And he thanks David for sparing his life. You'll, you remember the story. We're in, we're in another situation here, but it's a little different because Saul came into the place where David and his men were already hiding. But here, David takes the initiative. And we'll see that the Lord was right in the middle of it. Now the question comes, you know, what's, what's, what's the purpose of the story in the cave? What's the purpose of the story here? This is the purpose. Saul is surrounded by what the Bible calls 3,000 chosen men. These guys were warriors. They were tough, battle-hardened. And at that moment in time, they, were, they had sworn their allegiance to King Saul. And all they knew was that what the high officers and counselors were saying about David was true. David's going to take the first opportunity to kill you, stab you in the back. He's a backstabber. He wants to steal the kingdom. So here is another situation that even that strengthens David's position even more that what has been said about him is not true that he doesn't have this in his heart towards Saul earlier he had called in the last time he called him my father Saul and then in in his rage Saul took David's wife who was Saul's daughter and gave her to another man. So he won't call Saul his father anymore. This gives us a background though, dealing, dealing with the issues of life. How, how does the Lord carry David through these things? Da David carries the promise of the Christ. The covenant has already been made. And so Yahweh is bound to be the responsible party to make sure this covenant is carried out. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 26. First, he deals with treachery. And the Ziphites, now they were Calebites, they part of the tribe of Judah. And they should have been loyal to David, who was of Judah, because Saul was of Benjamin, but they weren't. And the Ziphites are the ones who were related closely to Nabal, who died of a stroke, whom David had saved during the Philistine incursion. But even so, they betray David, like everybody else has to this point. And the Ziphites came to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hachelah, before the desolate wasteland? And Saul arose and descended to the desert of Ziph, and with him were 3,000 picked or chosen men to seek David in the desert of Ziph. Saul encamped in the, hall, in the hill of Hachelah, which is before the desolate wasteland by the road, and David was staying in the desert, and it appeared to him that Saul had come after him to the desert. So David sent spies, and he learned that Saul had surely come. Now Saul had said all that sweet, kind stuff to David when David spared his life by cutting off part of his robe. But 
Saul is back to his treacherous ways. Again, he's chasing after David. The next thing he deals with is audacity. David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay. Now we're going to learn in the next slide or two that the Lord, Yahweh, had put Saul and his men in a deep sleep. So they were, they were out. They were out. Abner, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, and Saul was lying within the barricade, and the people were encamped around him. So here's the deal. His soldiers, 3,000 of them, are encircled. In the middle of the circle is King Saul in, in his tent where he's, where he's laying his encampment. Next to him, his bodyguard. David spoke up and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zeruai, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go with you. Now, probably everybody else said, well, that's dumb. 3,000 men, and right in the middle, you're going to walk, you got to tiptoe by all these men, and then you got to go right to where Saul is in the middle of the camp. But David is emboldened, and David's plan is still to expose the conspiracy within Saul's court that has been formed against him. Who will go with me? I'm going to sneak in there to where Saul is. David and Abishai came to the people by night. Behold, Saul was lying asleep within the barricade with his spear thrust into the ground at his head. Now that was his, that particular spear in, in, in that uh, time, that was his symbol of authority. And Abner and the people were lying around him. Now Abishai said to David, today Elohim, God, Elohim has delivered your enemy into your hand. And now let me strike him now with the spear to the ground with one stroke and I shall not repeat this to him. So here, <laughs> here's what Abishai says. I'm going to sneak over there and pull his spear out of the ground. I'm going to lift that spear up and I am going to pin Saul to the ground. And I only have to do it once. I know right where to strike him and he won't even, he won't even make a sound. I want to do that now. I want to kill him. He's your enemy. Let me pin him to the ground with one stroke. I won't have to repeat this. I won't have to stab him and stab him. and It'll only take one time. And David said to Abishai, no. Now he'd been through this before with his men back in the cave. Do not destroy him for who can stretch forth his hand against Yahweh's anointed and be accounted guiltless. Here is the trick of a faithful man. If, if Yahweh created the situation Yahweh will handle the situation. Yahweh gave Samuel permission to anoint Saul the king. Now he gave, he ordered Samuel to anoint David the king. But in this case, the only one who can unanoint Saul 
in the mind of the faithful man, David, is none other than Yahweh. Yahweh had him anointed. Yahweh is going to have to do whatever it takes to put his anointing on Saul to an end. It was a lesson too for his, for his men, just have faith in God. And David said, as Yahweh lives, but Yahweh will smite him. Or his day will come and he'll die. Or he'll go down to war and perish. He'll die. Yahweh's going to take care of him. He'll die under the hand of Yahweh. He'll die by natural causes on the day that God, Yahweh has appointed for him to die. Or he'll go into war and somebody will kill him while he's at war. Whatever the case, Yahweh will take care of it. This is not our place. This is not our, th- we can't, we can't unanoint someone whom the Lord has anointed. Far be it from, for me, from Yahweh to stretch forth my hand against Yahweh's anointed. And now take the spear, which is at his head in the jug of water and let's go away. So he had some water there. Carried a little water to bed every night. Had his spear. That was his symbol of authority. Everybody could see that spear sticking up so they knew where the king was laying. They took his symbol of authority and his drink of water. Took it. The spear and jug of water from near Saul's head, they went away. Yahweh had put them on a deep sleep. David and his man walk in, get those things, walk back out. No one saw and no one knew and no one awakened for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from Yahweh had fallen upon them. And so now this adventure moves to mockery. David crossed to the other side and stood on the mountain peak from afar And the space between them was great. And David called to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you who have called to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a valiant man? And who is like you in Israel? Why did you not guard your Lord? Your Lord. It's not Yahweh. It's Adonai, it's the Adon, the, the, the Lord, the, the, the head of the army. Why did you not guard your Lord, the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing which you have done is not good. And as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, you are worthy of death. For you did not keep watch over your Lord, over Yahweh's anointed. You failed in your duty. And we got this close to him. And now see, look around. Where is the king's spear? Where is his jug of water? Both of which were kept at his head. Where are they, O valiant man, bodyguard? The next thing he faces now is dishonesty. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. He doesn't call him father anymore because Saul took his daughter away from David and gave her to another man. 
And he said, why does my Lord, why does Saul, why does my Lord pursue his servant? David still assumes the position of being in service to Saul. What evil is in my hand? And now let my Lord the king hear his servant's words. Let Saul hear what I have to say. If Yahweh has incited you against me, if I have committed a sin, if I have sinned against you, and Yahweh has done it, he will accept an offering. But if you have been incited against me by the sons of men, they are cursed before Yahweh. For they have driven me today from cleaving to Yahweh's heritage, saying, go, worship other gods. So, so David makes it clear. Who are you listening to? Stand forth now. And proclaim in the presence of my men and your men and tell me what law have I broken? What thing have I done? If you can show it and prove it, I will pay to the Lord a sacrifice, an offering. But if your men have been saying these things, they are cursed. They are cursed before Yahweh. And they've driven this thing between us. And now let not my blood fall to the ground away from the face of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has gone out to seek a flea as the partridge hunts in the mountains. David keeps saying, I'm nobody. Why are you after me? And Saul said, I have sinned. Same thing he said at the cave. I have sinned. Return my son, David, for I shall harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, behold, I have acted foolishly and have erred exceedingly. Now, all of this is being said, understand, in the presence of his men. And David answered and said, behold, the king's spear. Look, I am holding your symbol of authority, but I don't want it. It's yours. So let one of your young people come over and take it and bring it back to you. And Yahweh will repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For Yahweh delivered you today into my hand and I would not stretch forth my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Another great lesson for the men of Saul who in the due course of time are going to have to become part of the army of David. So now... David makes his case even more clearly than he did at the, at the adventure in the cave. I will not stretch forth my hand against Yahweh's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my eyes, so my life will be precious in the eyes of Yahweh. And he shall save me from every distress. Let me hold it there. Remember, David still has the fresh memory of what Abigail had said to him. Abigail said, you're not Saul. You are a righteous man. 
Yahweh leads you. Yahweh will care for you. And that was before Nabal just dropped dead. So David didn't have to take out his vengeance and kill all of Nabal's dogs. He just needed to listen to Abigail who told him essentially that Yahweh will take care of it. This is the man you are, David. You are the man who lets the Lord take care of these things in your behalf. Okay, so David is encouraged and emboldened because Abigail had said, you're going to be the king, but Yahweh will give it to you. You don't have to take it. Yahweh will give it to you. Then the next day Nabal dies. And so David ponders on that, takes Abigail as his wife. But then he ponders the very next day, the day after I would have killed Nabal and all of his servants and all of his animals. The very next day, Nabal dropped dead. So now Yahweh used the situation of Nabal and Abigail to strengthen David's faith even more. Remembering Abigail, now his wife, who told him, Yahweh will put you on the throne. It's yours, but Yahweh will do it. So now David knows it's a further lesson, but it's also David teaching Saul's men a lesson that his high officers and counselors are conspiring against David and they're doing it just to please Saul because Saul doesn't want to give up the throne. Now, this is the last thing Saul ever says to David. And Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son. You shall both do great things and you shall prevail. David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. In the presence of Saul's men, in the presence of David's men, David's men having heard what Abigail said, Saul himself says, you will prevail. You are the one. Last thing Saul ever said to David. And so now David knows even more that indeed Yahweh will carry him to the throne, that he might be the king over Israel, and that his throne would last forever, that there would always be son of David on that throne. We're going to stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.